Um, but you can open up to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 23. And I'll read these, these scriptures um, out to you. It says this, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. I'll read those verses again. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Fascinating little scriptures, eh? And here we've got a scene where Jesus is obviously um, out and about and doing these incredible miracles that people are marveling at. And he, and he shares, well, this is John that's sharing, and is really exposing what's in Jesus' heart and saying, you know, he wasn't entrusting himself to men because he knew what was in men. You know, last week we, we had an incredible dialogue about the fivefold and about all the different gifts and different parts of the body playing their role. And this is almost like the other side of a two-part coin, you know, and, and that we're to trust one another, but we're not to entrust ourselves to each other. We each have a role to play. We've each got something to bring, something to give. We're to learn from each other. And in fact, that when everyone plays their role and brings their part, we're a greater, richer family as a result. That's one side. And yet we see here that Jesus wasn't prepared to entrust himself to men because he knew what was in men. It's interesting, the context here is he's saying, I'm not prepared to entrust myself to any man, not when they hated him, but actually when they loved him. And see, that's where the rubber hits the road, is not when you're being hated, persecuted, in a, in a deep, dark place where people aren't for you. Sometimes the most subtle deception can be when actually people love and appreciate you, that it's in that place that Jesus said he wasn't prepared to entrust himself to men, not just their criticism, but also their praise, because he wasn't living for the approval of man. See, in Galatians, Paul, he says that, man, if, if I was living to please men, I, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. And so Jesus wasn't living for the approval of man, for their praise. He wasn't living up to people's expectations. He was someone who was sent from the Father. He was living for the Father, from the Father. And because he was set apart from people, he was actually empowered to serve the very people that he was sent for. And so we need to be free from one another so that we can be to each other who we've been called to be. We need to be free, not so that we are able to abstain from all kind of responsibility to each other, but actually so that we're empowered to fulfill the mandate that we have, the covenant that we heard about last week that, we that we're in with one another. But if we are bound up and looking for the approval of each other, we're actually disempowered to be who we need to be. And so these scriptures are deep and powerful, and there's something in here that, Je that we see in Jesus' heart and in Jesus' life that's not just to be exclusively for him. 
He's demonstrating that what we as the sons of God, those who are being formed in his very image, are to live in and from. And so we've got some big questions to unpack tonight, and I hope that you're going to help us unpack those questions. We've got the dream team, as always, on the panel. <laughs> the new, every, every, week, <laughs> every, every week's the dream team. We've got um, you know, some, some comments that, you know, we're rocking the Hughes's. Nick last week, we've got Joe this week, so you know it's going to be good. But Joe, I don't know if you want to start us off with our, our first question. Um, we've got here, why didn't Jesus entrust himself to any man? It's funny, when I first saw that question, I almost couldn't answer it because it was so obvious. <laughs> if you know what I mean, it's like, well, Jesus just wouldn't. But it's interesting, and we're going to come to this later, it just provoked a question straight back from the Holy Spirit of, well, why do we find ourselves in that place then? If it's so obvious that, it's, that Jesus wouldn't, what did he see that we don't? Um, and I think it comes back to what Greg shared this morning about Jesus could see so clearly that there's spirit and there's flesh, um, and that man in the flesh is completely opposed and warring against the spirit, and he knew what he was here to do. Um, and like I say, he just saw it in black and white. He's like, there is nothing good in man. And these same people who are at the moment singing my praises as they see my miracles are going to be the ones who try and talk me out of what my father's will is here. Yeah, I mean, we're a fallen being. And so um, he had to put his trust in someone that wasn't fallen in someone that was trustworthy, which was his father. And so he knows us. He knows his father. And if he puts his, if he entrusts himself to us, he can't go to the cross. You think about it, if he puts his entrust into Judas, and then Judas betrays him, he can't love Judas because he's taken out, because he's had trust broken. And this is the challenge for us because it's about trusting people, like Sam said, but not in or in trusting them. So if they break trust with you, you actually can keep oneness. But if you've entrusted your heart to man and man breaks trust, he breaks your heart. And then you're offended. It's very hard to love when you have offense in your heart. You actually want vengeance. And so the challenge is Jesus knew all this because Jesus knows all things. And so Jesus had to give his heart to the one he knew would never break it. And so he did. And it's interesting, you know, you see this pattern quite often th through the scriptures. And what came to mind, you know, for me was, you know, Jesus, once he, you know, he does the miracle of feeding the 5,000, you know, straight after that verse, it says that he perceived that they wanted to make him a king. And so he drew back, you know. And so interesting, eh? You know, it's like, that, that the people had a particular kind of expectation of who they thought that Jesus was to be to them, you know? That he was a king, but not the, not the kind of king that they were looking for, you know? And, and that, they, that he perceived that, that they wanted to make him a king. And he was a king, but he was a king of an entirely different kingdom than the kingdom that they were looking for him to establish, eh, you know? That he, he had come to set up his spiritual, invisible, eternal kingdom here on earth, that if he was to, to be taken away from his father's will and into their will, 
then obviously none of what you see happen would have been able to happen, eh? Because he would have been swayed by, by man's opinions of, who, of whose kingdom he, has come, he had come to establish, eh? And Satan offered that to him right at the get-go of his ministry. We looked at that a few weeks back, you know? That offered him all of the kingdoms of the earth if only he would bow down, you know? But Jesus obviously had a greater perspective than that and he'd seen what he had come to do was his father's will, not man's will, you know, and was able to resist, and not, not even resist in, in the sense that he was um, drawn to it, but able to see beyond what it was that they were, they were trying to offer him, you know. And so it is, it's to be for us, right? We're to live from the same kind of perspective. It's, it's, it's wisdom, wisdom, isn't it? It's, it's the two wisdoms. So you've got the two different kingdoms with the two wisdoms. And so it's what wisdom do you live from? And, you know, if you want to have a look at that, 1 Corinthians 2 is fantastic about the wisdoms. And it says, and 1, it says the world can't come to know God through its own wisdom. So wisdom of the world says trust your heart to a person. The wisdom of God says don't do that. That's a road to disaster. Entrust your heart to the one who'll never break it the one who'll never leave you, it's him. But you need to know him to do that. And the reason why we entrust our hearts to man is because we know man more than we know God. But you've just put your hands into the, your heart into the hands of a fallen being. You don't want to do that. Because their intent won't be to crush your heart. But they will look after themselves before you. Because man will always put himself first ahead of anyone he loves and in that you get crushed and this is the challenge because it's fully possible to live an offence free life that's the example correct so what would it look like to live an offence free life that when people break trust because you're entrusting yourself to him you can continue to love to keep spiritual oneness going so you're going to play your part in the process they might not play their part, but you're going to play your part. I think it'd be phenomenal. And just thinking about that, that position, you know, when two people in a relationship are entrusting their heart to each other and actually want the other person to entrust their heart to them because they're looking to be needed, wanted, valued, and trying to find the value in someone else that's a really dangerous position, right? Because all of a sudden, not only do you have one person in that position and the other able to love, it's almost like a, it's a two-way disaster, right? Where you've got one person who needs to be valued, appreciated, and you know, um, and affirmed in that. It's it's like that. That's a road to destruction. You know, I don't know what the the, the right word is for it, eh? And so, if there's it takes, firstly, at least one person in that relationship to say, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared to entrust my heart to you. I'm entrusting it to him so that I can love you in the hope that the other person does the same thing, hey, you know? And, and this is a principle right at the beginning of time. So you know the whole leave and cleave? So if you think about it, every parent's role is to prepare their child to not be dependent on them okay and this is where you get the codependent relationships because the parents are needy 
And so they have children because they need something because they're not complete. Because like Eve in the garden, well, actually, why do you need to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God's right in front of you? You see, because they need. And so this is what happens. This is how you get all the broken relationships because people are broken and they don't get whole. And so the leave and the cleave is a principle. It's like none of us should be looking for life in one another. And so a good parent will prepare you for life to not need them and to not need a spouse or a child. But I'm talking about Christian parents, but to lead you to the Father. That's the role of Christ. He came to lead us to the Father. He died so we could be reconciled back to the Father. That's why Sam said he didn't want the people looking him for king. He was a king. Okay? But he didn't want it. It was like, no, 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 I'm taking you to the Father. And this is where all the issues lie in humanity. Because we're a broken vehicle and we reject God and his wisdom. And so we're looking for life in one another. and We don't get it. We dump that one. And we go to the next one. We dump that one and we go, it doesn't matter what it is, a job, a sport, a person. It's like we're continuously looking for life outside of life. It's a recipe for disaster. Mm. Just taking Sam up on his uh, offer to engage there. <laughs> just as you're talking, all I can, I can just hear is foundations. And, you know, Jesus said, what are you building your life on effectively? Is it the rock or is it sand? And when, I mean, Christ who is the cornerstone, what is it that he's going to be built on? Because no one is worthy of his life being built on. And we're the same. We're looking for things physically to support a structure that don't have the capacity to support that. They're not worthy of the load that's going to be put on them. There's no other foundation that we can be built on other than Christ the rock. And, and this is the question of trust because trust has, has a, a picture of the ability to support or carry a weight and no one can other than Christ. And to me the question is not if we're, building, if we're not building our lives on him, if we're building it on people or things, it's not a question of if they're going to break our heart, it's a question of when they're going to. Do you know what I mean? Like, at the, the weight that you're talking about, it, at, at some stage, fallen human beings are going to let you down. You know what I mean? And, and, and so there's an there's a absolute necessity to be weaned off and to find the true source, which is Christ, hey, you know? And the other side of that is when we're in that state, we can't be faithful to our covenant with him. Like it's just not possible to be faithful in covenant with him if we've got these other lovers that we are trying to also get life from. And the beauty is once he becomes that reality in you, that's where love is patient. So you're patient, see, because love in you is patient. So you're long-suffering for others to realise. You, you become as love is. You're not becoming God, but love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't hold an account of wrong. See, that's what love can do. I can't do, but if love enters into me because I've entrusted my entire heart to God, then I can love like God loves. So now with the other person or the people, you're able to model and demonstrate what Christ did because you've transitioned. And it's fascinating 
Chris brings that up, about the house that's built on sand. Because in Matthew, the context just before that, he says, those who have ears, let them hear. Okay, well what? Hear what? Build your house on sand? No, the bit before it. It's the bit before it, he's saying, you need to hear that. Where they go, Lord, Lord. We did miracle after miracle, cast out demons. And he goes, only those who do the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not the place heaven, the reigning ship of Christ back on earth. Only those who do the will of God. Well, I thought healing the sick, raising the dead and casting out demons was the will of God. Well, it's partly, but it's not the first. So what's the will of God, guys? What have we taught the will of God here is primarily number one? That's the commandment. You can't actually do that until you've entered into something called transformation. Believe through the Spirit, enter into sanctification, because that's the transformation, the change of your heart. See, it's the, it's the exchange of I'm trusting my heart here. God goes, eh, eh, I'm going to come now and do a work in you. So then you actually entrust your heart to me. That's the process of spiritual transformation. It's a change of heart. So where you were entrusting your heart to whoever, you no longer do because the work of sanctification of the Spirit is taking place. But that process you can reject because he comes for it. Woman at the well, give me your husband. Mate, you're on to your sixth one. When are you going to get the fact that men can't fulfill what you're looking for? Okay, And so this is this work. And so ministry can become your God. You can entrust your heart to the ministry and, you know, your ego and all that stuff. And he goes, you never heard. It's those who do the will. And so the outcome of those who don't do the will is the house that gets bowled over. Because they weren't hearing when he said it's not about the external works first. It's about the internal will of God, which is the transformation of your heart and your mind through power. That's what I do. And I think to me that's exactly why, the, you know, that when we see the temptations of Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry, those, those three particular things. Because the third one, you know, was it that? Um, the devil leads him up to the tip of the temple, the height of religious, you know, like institutional structure, and says, oh, just do a mir- throw yourself off the temple where every religious person is, and they'll see the miracle that you're about to do, and you'll essentially be praised by everyone, you know? So why is that a temptation? Is it because he needed to show, to me, it's like, what was in him? If he had a desire for ministry first, He's in trouble, right? Because here's the opportunity where he can express himself and show the the religious system how incredible he is, and he would have been for God, you know. And yet that that temptation, because the devil had nothing in him, essentially bounced off, right? He's like, actually, I'm I'm not here for my own ego. I'm not here for my own ministry. I'm not here to look good. I'm not here to play the game. I'm here to do my father's will. And so thanks but but no thanks. I'm not actually I'm actually not interested in my my spiritual religious ministry reputation, you know? And that was the starting point, you know? And that set a foundation for what was for what was to come, hey, you know? And so how essential is it for us? You don't necessarily need to be preaching from a pulpit, but it's, it's you know, 
to be seen, serving, appreciated, valued, to find your identity and what people think of you, even in this environment, you know, there's, you know, that the sword has to penetrate right to the very, even religious core of us, because sometimes the most subtle form of self, uh, 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 religious expression of, of serving God, you know, so. Melanie. I think it's um, what just came up to me is like purpose. It's that sense of purpose that Satan actually wants to steal from you. Um, because once we start to lose who we are, that is, this is when we start to get into codependent relationships and, and that type of thing. And if you, if you lose yourself, you, you just don't know what to stand for anymore. And... Um, yeah, I think purpose is a is a very big thing. Question. What have we talked about being the purpose of God for us? Because when you hear purpose, do you hear function or do you hear fellowship? So what's this? There's one scripture on a Sunday night, I've been banging on, I've thrown it out there a number of times. A particular passage says, Your purpose is to sin. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> Say it, Ollie. Good man. Romans 8 28. 31, for those who God loves, he has foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. That means you are being formed inside and out into Christ-likeness, which means you can't be hoodwinked if that's happening. If you're growing in Christ, just like the devil comes to you, it's like, mate, is that as good as you got? See, which means you know who you are. So if you know who you are, you're not going to enter into these types of relationships because you're worth more than that. That's right. That's right. It's like, one thing my mum and dad installed in me is don't lower the bar. As a non-Christian, aim high. Don't settle for any relationship. Don't settle for the first that comes along. Aim high, son. Well, that's what Jesus says to us. Like, why would I want to live beneath the standard? Why would I want to be in a relationship with someone and it's just because I need a relationship because I don't know who I am. And then all of a sudden it's turmoil because both those people bring their brokenness and then we just devour each other. And it's just mess. And so the challenge is, and write this down if you haven't got this in your heart, Romans 8, 28 to 31. Marinate in it. That's what he's saying your purpose is. I want to make you into the image of my son. And I have chosen you before the foundations of the earth to entrust your heart that I gave you to my Father. Why? So then you can live. You can live this life in freedom. And what I hear in, in this is that, that that is found in oneness with him. Eh? So it's the him and us, us and him. There's no room or need from that place for these other things. So that's... In my experience, that's where the battle comes, is that, that oneness with him first. Because we don't start there, do we? We all start separated. We all start as orphans, 
having no idea who our true father is, but we know our mum and dad, but we don't know our true father, but we have a father. See, there's no such thing as an orphan who doesn't know their, sorry, who doesn't have a father. Every orphan has a father. They just don't know their father. Okay? And so if you don't know him, then you're an orphan trying to live as something that you can't because you still don't know the Father. And so you will entrust your heart to those that are closest to you. You will. That's what we do. We're looking to find, to give our heart to something. He says, yeah, it's me. Give it to me. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But the world we live in, that we're born into, and even in Christendom teaches you the opposite. Find the man of your dreams. There's only one. So you better make sure you don't stuff it up. Or the woman of your dreams. And then you go have kids because you've got to have this nice little Christian home and this Christian lifestyle and live Christian comfortable lives and turn up church and do some stuff. That's death. I don't know where that message is in here. It's not in him and it's not in here. It's in the institution that Sam's talking about that the devil took Jesus to the top of and said, jump off it. That's not the Christ-like message. That's man's version of a very comfortable, watered-down Christ-like message that many believe because it fits in with their flesh. And that's what God was trying to smash this morning, and I believe is smashing and wants to continue to smash to bring us into true life. True calling. The Bible says that we have to live a life worthy of the calling. Like, we need to have a revelation of what that is. Because if I'm called to live a life worthy of the calling of Christ, and I don't know what that is, and if my heart is given to Daniel, I'm not going to live it. If my heart is given to my kids, that's why he says, guys, if you love others more, they will get in the way. That's what he's saying. He's not saying it's wrong to love a child and have a wife. He's saying if you love them more, you will prioritise them. So where your treasure is, there I will find your heart. See? And so the wrestle is you've got to have an exchange of treasure. He has to become your treasure. So there where your treasure is Christ, there you find Greg's heart. If my true treasure is my wife or my sport or my kids or my possessions, you will find my heart. I will entrust my heart to my treasure. Now, when someone comes along and nicks my treasure, what do they nick? My heart. And then they stomp on it, twist it, break it, snap it. And what do they do? Break me. Now, that may be the greatest thing that can happen to you. Because now your heart's in a trillion pieces on the floor, smashed, and someone's just spewed all over and put their boot through it. And now the only option you have. So I'm thankful for that day. But I never want to go back there. I learned a very valuable lesson. Never, ever, ever give your heart to man. And I think, you know, in, in, in what I hear describing, you know, it can be easy to hear the words and trusting your heart and think that the remedy is to somehow close yourself off and harden your heart. And all of a sudden you're just callous and it's like, stuff you, I'm not going to let you into my life because 
it's actually the complete and utter opposite than that. Eh? To me, like that's you, you've you've tried to fix a spiritual problem with an earthly solution. Eh? You know, like you've you've just gone from one extreme to the other, having had your heart crushed in a million pieces, and now you've tried to super glue it back together <laughs> and galvanise it against that ever happening again. You know what I mean? But a bigger sledgehammer is just going to come along, and you know what I mean? Like the, the only solution is actually getting a new heart, you know? And what does it say? A, a new heart, and you put a new spirit in us and a new song in our mouths, eh, you know? And I think, that to me, you know, why this is, is so massive, you know, is that, you know, we're talking about not entrusting your heart. It's, it's, it's because we're so much more than what we thought that we were supposed to be living for. Do you, know, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's saying that, Actually, you're, you're worth more than giving yourself away cheaply to other people and other things, you know? Um, that he's called us for something that's so much more than investing your entire self into another person when you're being called to sit with him and be his bride and be his co-heir. And to me, this is why, you know, looking at the big picture and why the big picture is so important, you know, is that when you see what you've been called to, why would you sell out short for something that's subpar, you know? And that, to me, is what we see in here is that, is that Jesus is he's saying, you know, these people love me because of my miracles, I'm actually more than a miracle maker. I'm a Messiah, you know? And, and so I'm not going to sell myself short of just being the guy that meets your needs when I want to be your groom, your king, your husband. I want you to, to come into this co-earing relationship with me. I've been sent to do my Father's will and to call a people out of the earth and to set them apart for myself, for the, the, the heavenly eternal call that I have why would I sell you into just a miracle when I've got so much more? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like the words sound harsh, but when you see actually the eternal calling, it's not harsh. It's actually calling you for something so much greater than what you ever perceived was possible for you, eh? You know? And so we, we need to hear the sound of that word when it comes. The sound that isn't death, it's actually life. You know? The message of the cross isn't a message of death like we heard this morning. It's a message of, of, of beyond the grave, the resurrected life that, that we're all called to live and live from. But there's something that we all need to go through to enter into what it is that we're called for, eh? You know? the, the cool thing is, is when you're in that position, like I just read here, Jesus himself knew what was in man. You never judge self-righteously what was in you, which is in another. And then you're able to love like he loved, the more you're perfected within that love. That's phenomenal. You see, you never self-righteously judge somebody because you're looking at yourself, because you know what's in you, see? So when he reveals what's in you and he kills it, how could you ever self-righteously judge another? Now, you're a good judge, meaning discernment. There's a righteous discernment to help a brother who's still caught or a sister in themselves. There is that, and we speak that out. But that is very different from a self-righteous judgment that condemns and kills a person. And that's the beauty. It's like when you've transitioned from that into him, man, you know, you think about that. To not hold an account of wrong. 
to not be jealous, to not desire or to covet someone else. I wish I had her looks or his looks. I wish I had Sam's haircut, (laughs) but I got Chris's. (laughs) Got the raw end of the deal on that sucker. Do you want his beard as well? (laughs) No, you can have that. (laughs) Mine's a bit more designer. But you know, it's like if you think about that love and the characteristics of Christ, Christ never held an account that was wrong. Christ was not jealous. He believed all things for us. You start believing all things for others because you have the ability to do that. Not because you couldn't do it in your flesh before, but you're in him and so you can. You endure the offence of a brother or sister because you know they don't know. The reason why we hurt one another is because we don't know. We don't intend to. We get hurt and then we lash out. But see, someone who's growing and knowing who they are, then in what I'm talking about, they don't because they know you just don't know who you are. And that's where love and compassion is, see? Because you know the intent's not. I can love. Ah, If they knew, they wouldn't have crucified their Messiah. And Jesus knew that. Hence he says what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hence he asked them, who do you say I am? See, if you don't know him, which is where you know who you are, which is where the knowledge of God is, then you can't live like this. See, because you don't have the knowledge. Broken people hurt broken people. But whole people love broken people. Whole people, fence, fools, come here. Why? Because I haven't entrusted my heart to you. So you broke trust, but you haven't broken trust. What would marriages look like? Like what if Danny went and had a physical affair with someone? Would I have within me the ability to love, to keep my marriage that is destined to be one together? Or would that hurt and that pain and the broken trust wreck me. Only I know, and he knows. What would it look like for someone to be able to cover that love because they're not broken on the inside, because they didn't give their heart to that person, so their heart's not broken? Doesn't mean the behaviour's right. Doesn't mean you excuse the behaviour. But there is an olive branch that is handed out, not to you, to her. (laughs) Or vice versa. That says, let's reconcile in Christ. Because oneness with my Father and oneness with you is more important. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Because then a world would take note. But see if, that's right, if we've entrusted, if I've entrusted and she's entrusted to one another, it's not possible. Because brokenness can't love on brokenness. Only wholeness can love brokenness. And I think, you know, that's an extreme example, way eh, of a physical adultery. 
but that that can play out day in and day out in marriages, right? You know, in any relationship, to, to be able to have the capacity within us to love regardless of what's coming at us, you know? And it's like God gives us relationships for that to be formed in us through the, the day in, day out, the nitty gritty of life, that there might be found in us this this heart of love for one another, that to, to love like that over and over and over again when someone's not, not you know, doing, fulfilling their role, to me it's like that, that person somewhere along the line is going to see something that, that breaks them, right? Well, that's, that's the hope, you know what I mean? It's like to, to be loved and loved and loved and loved and loved and boom, because all of a sudden, like, that's Peter, right? You know, he, he professes that he's able to love Jesus. The rooster crows and something breaks in him, you know? Um, and I just, I, you know, it just reminded me of, when you're talking, Greg, of, of John 13, of, of Peter and Jesus, you know, and this scripture is not unfamiliar to us, but he says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going to go? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. You know, And I feel like you see in this passage, here's Jesus who's asked and invited Peter to come and pray with him for, for one hour. But, but you see here, Je- Jesus knows Peter's true state, even though Peter doesn't. But he also knows Peter's potential. You know what I mean? It's like the, the, this position of not entrusting his heart to Peter is not a cold, hard-hearted... He, see, he starts by speaking his potential, you know? Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. It's like he sees what's possible for Peter and says, hey, you can't follow me now, but you're going to. And so to me, it's like that's, that's the potential that he sees and Peter, and so he's not hurt when Peter denies him. He knows Peter's true state, but he knows what's going to follow, and is able to love him through it. Eh? You know, and to me, it's like I just think of our parent-child relationship. It's like you know their true state, but you also see their potential. And so, when you speak to the true state, you're not talking about their identity. You're talking about something that actually, at the end of the day, there's an there's an opportunity to to have that immaturity replaced by maturity and truth, which leads to transformation and change and stepping into the potential that was always available, eh? you know, and so. What he, what he ultimately sees is what he's going to do. So in himself, Peter has no potential. But what God's going to do in Peter is where the potential all lies. So what Peter has to do die yeah and that's where he's being led to and so Jesus is speaking in the future because Jesus knows what he's going to do in Peter and that's it for us Jesus wants to do such a profound work in you that you're able to live something you couldn't live before so the potential in us is what God's going to do there's nothing good in Greg there's plenty of good in God and so that role, that, that surrendering, that relinquishing, that Peter didn't even know he was doing. Let's be honest, 
He didn't actually know the journey he was on, but Jesus does, did. Yeah. So when he's leading him there, he's going, I have ordained this for you. You haven't. You don't even know what's going on. <laughs> Your role is to stick here with me. Don't run. And unfortunately, too many Christians take themselves out of the process that kills them and bursts them because it gets to heart and our feelings get in the way. So our feelings get in the way of the potential of what Jesus wants to do. And he will honour what you say. He will honour. If you say no, he go, okay. So we have to be aware it's, it's the potential is all in him to do this work in us so we can live what you can't live. And that's that whole thing I've shared about past, present, and promise. Yeah. So he calls Peter's promise because he wrote it. He's seen it. And he said, if you stick with me, son, it'll become yours. I'm not going to hold your past. So I'm not going to hold the fact you got up in my face before and said what you said. I'm not going to hold the fact of all those things because they're washed. But right now in your present is what I'm going to address. And so if your present gets in the way of you, your promise will never be realised. And so, but if you let him into it all, then all of a sudden you're the recipient of the promise. So when the offence comes, you're not offended. It says make sure you do not come short of the grace of God. Why? So that a root of bitterness does not grow up in you. What would that look like? How would you love? It would be, eh? Imagine what you could minister to the world. What would a husband be able to minister to his wife that was growing in that? What would a wife be able to minister to a husband? What would a father be able to minister to his children? What would a child be able to minister back to the father? And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And it says, make sure there's a warning. You don't come short of grace, power, so that nothing can take you out. The enemy knows offence is the way you take out a church. How many people, oh, I got offended by the church. I got offended, I got offended, I got offended, I got offended. How many people? There's a whole lot of people hiding in caves because we hurt one another. Now, some of it's genuine and some of it's the other person. Sometimes it's because expectations didn't get met. Where'd you get your expectation? Well, I don't know. I created it. See? I wanted a king and you weren't the king. It was you that was supposed to come to my hospital bed, not seeing Chris Reddington. <laughs> this is what I've had in my life. If it's not me or if it's not someone, then no one came. Doesn't matter the fact that you led and facilitated that prayer and 25 people prayed for that person, but it wasn't you, Greg. So now I'm offended. And that's where division starts, correct? And the enemy knows that. So, right where oneness is, is division. And he sits there on that boundary line going, 
division, division, division. If I can cause an offence here, if I can cause an offence here, if I can make someone think like that, bang, oh, got another one, got another one, got another one. That's why this morning was so powerful. We've got to stand up and fight for oneness. But see, while I'm still entrusting myself to Chris and to Sam and to whoever, I'm on a dodgy foundation. Because as soon as they don't do something that I think they should, a root starts to fester. Then the next time they mess up, they might not be messing up, it might be me. Then the next, then the next, then the next. And all of a sudden now I've got a tree of bitterness in me. And it ain't divine. And, and, and not only are you defiled, it says that a root of bitterness springs up and by it defiling many. Because yeah. all of a sudden the bitterness that's in you leaks out onto other people. So did you hear about what Chris did to me? And, and all of a sudden that, that, that bitterness, what does it say? It spreads like gangrene, yeah. you know what I mean? And it, and it permeates through the body that's supposed to be the expression of God's divine oneness and unity on the earth is divided, you know? And, and so to me it's like that, that needs to be rooted out of us and we need to be re-rooted in, in a love that has the capacity in it to actually overcome offence, you know, and to not stand for it and nip it in the bud and when we hear it in others, you know. And so it's, it's massive, eh, you know? having the capacity in us to, to be able to love when that comes at us. It reminds me of when Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace with the world but a sword. And it's not long after that that he talks about if you love father, mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Because it is a, like that is a separating work of the spirit. It's not like we were saying before, I'm not going to be offended and I'm going to try and get my kids out of my heart. It's, it's a dividing work that only the Holy Spirit can do. And just so I'm clear, or you're clear with me, I'm not saying other people's behaviour is right. Okay? But you're free of it. That's the cool thing. You're free of the other person's behaviour. It doesn't have a hold on you. You're not giving it authority in your life. See? It's like, why would you want to do that? Giving someone power over you to determine how you're going to be. So the behaviour is not necessarily right, but you're free of the behaviour. Yeah, so it is, it is the oneness with me and you isn't based on me and you. It's based on us knowing him. If it's based on me and you, it's disaster. <laughs> but if it's based on him, then there's life. And that's the key. And that's like with fellowship. Fellowship's not based here. It's based here. Unity isn't based on that part of the cross. It's based on that part of the cross. So if you have unity that way, you have unity that way. And it's not unity to do purposes together. This is the other thing in the body of Christ. We think unity is doing an event together. That's not unity. Okay? Unity, spiritual oneness, where God commands a blessing, is found where two people or three people or one person 
is in Christ, growing in Christ, has fellowship with the Spirit, is abiding in the Spirit. It has nothing to do with function and everything to do with fellowship. That's where he talks about the blessing is. And see, that's what trumps all the personalities, all the culture, all the this like, don't like that person, like this person because we have a natural connection. That's what makes us the body of Christ. It's not based on anything physical. It is purely based on everything spiritual. I've said this before. I don't naturally have things in common with the elders. Okay? So if it was based on our natural connection, we probably, if I'm being honest, wouldn't hang out all the time. Because naturally, I don't think any of them like football. I don't think any of them like country music. None of them get my sense of humour. Well, apart from Chris. No, <laughs> no that's a, I'm not. But we're very different, okay? But what brings us together is the Spirit of God. What creates the oneness and the same mind and the same thinking and the same passion is Christ. That is unbreakable. If it's based on whether Sam likes football or not, I mean, you heard him speak the other week, you don't like football, and he doesn't, doesn't wear funny shit. What else did you say about me? You don't like shirts, and I don't know. Oh, I don't mind the shirt. <laughs> I'm a banana shirt. Give me a hard time, I'm free shirt. I just wouldn't wear them myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of us as individuals. If, if, if I start to try and speak like Sam, shoot me. If Sam starts wearing clothes like me, shoot him. Okay, and vice versa. None of us want Chris's beard. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. If you missed that on the recording, none of us are worthy of Chris, Chris's beard. Um, so we can be us, because what brings us with our unique personalities, our sense of humour, our giftings, all those things, is him. And that's where it must be based. And I think, you know, in, in trying to be like one another, you actually stifle the uniqueness that each other brings you know and I think that's why we have to be so free of each other and other people's expectations you know because as soon as as soon as Greg starts expecting me to be like him then then there's a real danger right you know and and, and that trying to create conformity and everyone to, to fit a certain kind of mold you actually stifle Christ in each other you know so so can we allow everyone to be the best version of themselves that they possibly can. You need to be totally free of each other, especially if you're a leader, to be able to facilitate an environment where that takes place. But where it doesn't go is where you say, I'm just me, so my version of God is this. And so we've got now, everyone's got their different perspective about who God is. And we're not able to challenge, we're not able to fight for the, the, the oneness that exists in him because we're so self, self-focused and self-conscious that everyone has to be right, and that, that we're not able. Do you see what I'm saying? There's, there's a oneness and spirit that we need to find and that when we're one in spirit, there's actual ample place for expression and the diversity of what that oneness means. You know, it's, it's not a... Um, it's, it's not a everyone's got different perspectives. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? There's oneness in him that has a multitude of expressions. It's the manifold wisdom of who he is. It's not we're all different. So that's, yeah, I think you hear what I'm saying. And that's the new you. That's not the old you. That's the new you, who you are in Christ. So you need to know who you are in Christ 
to be able to live that out. It's when we come with our old life trying to add what you've just heard onto that life. It don't work. See, because this thing here will demand something, but the new one doesn't, because the new one's a bond servant who's a slave. The word actually means slave. You're a slave to Christ to do whatever he asks, whenever he asks it. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no space for your ego in the church that God is building, right? You know, it's like there's actually, you know, if, if you're all about you and expressing you and your ego, there's actually not, you might, you'll probably feel that there's no room for expression at the rock. And yet I feel like, we, we are so inviting of expression, right? That if things are coming out of you to say, oh, there's no place for me and my gift, man, that is such a dangerous, self-centered position because you're, you're looking for a place for, if you're looking for your platform, you'll be looking for it forever and you'll feel like this place is stifling and yet it's actually the most liberating place for you to serve and to be everything that Christ has called you to be, eh? You know? And so... The gift could be for you to have a platform. It could be. It could be. But you do, if, if your gift... The gift isn't the platform. The gift's going to express itself whether it has a platform or whether it doesn't. And having a platform actually won't take away from whether you're moving in that or not. Do you know what I mean? Because what's your definition of a platform? Yeah, right. So up the front, on the stage, with a lectern. There's your platform right in front of you. What platform? No, right in front of you. We saw it today. I watched my wife beautifully hold David Sullivan, and they both cry together. There's the platform right there. Beautiful, you know. So once again, all these mindsets, eh, you know. And so you take yourself out of something that's right in front of you. Questions. We do well. Let's just start with questions here. Eh? We'll see how we see how we go. Or comments. We'll just grab. Oh, just for the recording, you know. Um, what makes us so valuable that Christ is willing to do all this to become one with us, even when we have denied him so many times and even when we like dishonor him so much? Great question. <laughs> Great question that Joe's going to answer. <laughs> no, just kidding. You don't have to. That's a great question. Um, it's... He's God, and that's what he says at the end of the day. It's a bit like our, our belonging to each other. Hey, it's, he just says that we belong to him and each other, and my conviction is because he says it, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's because of who he is. That's what it's all about. It's not about who we are or who we're not. It's about who he is, and that's what qualifies us. So it's him that gives us value because he's valuable. So in his eyes, we're valuable because he's valuable. And so he sees himself in us, and that's where the value is. Outside of that, we're still valuable, but unfortunately we don't recognise our own value, and so we're going to go to a place where he's not at. But it's him. See, he, and that's why 
in him is life. So the more you know him, the more you'll know your value. And if you know your value, then you're not selling short of your value when other people come along and try to offer you things that appear more valuable, but they're not. Because you know your value. And the cross is all about our value. Not about our sin. Hear me. It's not really primarily about your sin. It's about your value to him. You get a revelation of that, man. All the stuff that you've believed, <laughs> gone. And I'm not saying God still doesn't want to, you know. But what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's like launching time. You know, it's rocket time. <laughs> You're just taken off out of earth and into the eternal. Because you've received love. Receive God. Great question. So just for the recording, you know, the scripture says that even when we're faithless, he's faithful, and that's the reality of who he is, right? And part of his faithfulness is he sees the fullness of this covenant life he wants with us. So sometimes his faithfulness isn't soft. Sometimes it comes as a harsh rebuke because he's like, I, there's so much in me that I have for you. And I'm calling you back to faithfulness. Good. I haven't gone anywhere, but where are you? And I, um, you know, Jonah, I was just talking about this briefly before, but in Hebrews, you know, it, it talks about a father's discipline, you know, and, and it says, um, you know, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, you know? And, and you see it's like, you know, the, the discipline is, is because of what's possible with him and us, you know? And so I feel like, come back to, to come back to your question before, you know, about, um, you know, he, he disciplines us. He says, it says that he disciplines those whom he loves, you know, because he can see what our lives could look like when he's in us to the fullest measure. And because he has that in view, he's able to put up with the, the rubbish and the junk and the process that it, you know, it, you know, that it takes us to get to this point where actually Christ is formed in us. Hey? Unfortunately, too many in the body of Christ have been brought up under a Catholic teaching, which is sin first. And so that is ingrained in our minds that it's about sin and you're a sinner. And so that creates this performance-based reality that I've somehow got to get better, somehow got to get better because I'm a sinner and I'm bound. That's not where the Father started. And when you get released from that, everything takes on a brand new reality and you get freed from religion. And you get freed from the religious 
institutional spirit that is in all of us because it's like, it's, it's Petra's question. It's like, it's free? Nah, can't be free. I must have to earn it. No, it's free. <laughs> you can't actually truly give until you're free. You can't give without conditions until you really know what freedom is. Even if it's just for a thank you, that's still conditional giving. God did not give his son based on a thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord. <laughs> he based it on himself. And when you enter into that, you are set free from all this messed up teaching of people who doesn't who don't know that reality. And that's what's so scary, and that's why it's only based on revelation that one should utter, because all of a sudden that's how you get all these other lines of thinking that bind you and keep you out of the life he's called you to. Because when someone turns up who's truly free and starts to speak, you go, nah, you can't say that, nah, 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 nah. Because in you, you're bound to you. And you've got to get free of that. And that, once again, that's what this morning was about. It actually <laughs> scares the living jeebies out of people, freedom. Because with freedom comes massive responsibility. That's why nobody wants responsibility. That's why we love the law. That's why we love rules. Don't give me freedom, give me rules. Give me the do's and don'ts checklist so that becomes my God, not God. It's very religious, and it is in certain cultures more than others. Law-based, fear-based, it keeps you bound up-based. And then you meet someone of freedom and you go, Ugh, that's demonic. <laughs> oh man, that's Christ. You just don't know the love of Christ that sets the captive free yet. You're bound up in what you believe. He said this beautiful thing to me one Sunday morning, not that long ago, would have been this year, where I was just smelling on the, you know, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I was like, yeah, I get Abraham, I get Isaac. I've always kind of identified with Jacob and his particular kind of idiocy. I was like, what about Jacob? What did he do to get the God of Abraham, and Isaac and Jacob? And he's like, it's not about what Jacob did, it's about who I am. You know? And again, it's just that thought of he must have done something. It's like, no. And so we have to, to move beyond this religious institutional system, eh? You know, it was, it was funny, I just, as I was sitting on my seat today, just reading over the scriptures before tonight, Levi had Madagascar on in, on in the background, you know, and as a, there's a scene with the penguins, you know, and right, right at the beginning, the penguins, um, you know, like pop out into the zebra's, um, you know, cage, and I just, I'm just, I can't, can't see it, I can just hear it, you know, and it, and the, the penguins bring news that there's more to life than being in the zoo, you know. <laughs> and the penguin, and they say, they say, this is uh, what they say. They say this is all some sort of whacked out conspiracy, man, <laughs> you know. And and the zeb and the zebra for the first time, who's been gazing at the wall, the mural of what the um, what the wild looks like, all of a sudden hears a sound that living in the cage has been some sort of whacked out conspiracy his whole life and he gets this taste 
of living for the wild. And he goes and shares it with his friend, the lion, who's like, absolutely no way. He's freaked out by it because his entire life, he's the king of New York and is in, in his own mind and his entire life revolves around his identity being in the zoo. And so to one, the idea of freedom is absolutely liberating and he hears the sound and his life is forever ruined of living in the zoo. But for the other, the invitation of freedom is absolutely freaky because the freedom of the wild means letting go of the identity that is found in the old zoo, the old religious system, eh? And so I think, um, I don't know how we got onto Madagascar. <laughs> that's, how I pre- that's how I prepared for tonight, you know, in, like, in the zone. <laughs> uh, sorry, I turned it, in. it wasn't supposed to be a joke, it was supposed to be actually making a point, you know. <laughs> that sometimes when we hear freedom, we reject it because our identity is wrapped up in, what, in everything that we've known and the invitation to something that's so much bigger and greater outside of. John the Baptist was eating locusts and wearing a, you know, camel's hair. He was outside of the religious system and it freaked people out because he was living from a kind of freedom that they had no reference for, eh, you know? And so we've got to get out of the zoo and into what real living looks like, hey, where we're not finding our identity in man. But, but in him, you know. Can we just, just touch on that John the Baptist thing? Because who was John? Greatest of the old prophets. Who was his father? A priest. So he was part of the system, but he wasn't. Fascinating, isn't it? See, what happens is God takes people that have either been in the system and he rescues them or are not in the system at all and then he sends them to people in the system to see them free from the religious system. And the system isn't this. The system's this. You know what I mean? The religious system isn't getting out of the building. The religious system is getting out of the institutional religious mentality that exists in us. Eh? You know? The God of self. Can't be afraid 
to get things wrong. Okay, so you can't be afraid to get things wrong, and that's why you've got to be teachable. Okay, so what we're God's creating here is an environment where you can get things wrong to get things right, and He covers that. Too often, and I've been talking to a couple of people, and, and there's almost like a paralyzation of not wanting to do the wrong thing, so I don't do anything. Okay, and that's not the way that you're going to grow. You've got to be able to get it wrong under the covering of heaven, knowing that heaven will pick you up. Okay, so do we think Moses? is going to be part of the kingdom of heaven being built back on earth. Do you think Moses is going to be very close to the Father in the future eternity? Did Moses stuff up pretty bad? So big stuff ups are okay because it's about this. So I just want to encourage everyone, and if you're listening online, fail forward. Okay, I love that saying. I heard that. Fail forward, get back up, and go again. Okay, there's no failure in Christ. It's just opportunity to learn who He is. Okay, and if we do that together, this place would be winning this house, us, His possession. Man, there'd be no stopping us. <laughs>